love talking about genre. I really think it's one of the things that has shaped and changed how I approach the Bible almost more than just about anything else. Um, so much so that I just completed a book on it and that I hope will be really beneficial for people who want to learn more about genre. So obviously I can talk about that a lot, but um, I'll say just one other thing on it. I think genres also provide us a way of, it kind of gives us guidance on how to structure, this is for Bible teachers, on how to structure the text for your study. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 193. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice that you just heard is that of Christy Anyobule. Um, Christy is the author of a forthcoming book called uh, Literarily, uh, which is about understanding the different literary genres that exist in the Bible. And if you are a student of the Bible, um, particularly if you are a teacher of God's word. It is important for you not just to understand the individual words and thoughts, but even to see how the words and thoughts fit into a book, which is part of a genre of literature. So uh, at the second half of our conversation, uh, we have a very wonderful and animated conversation about the importance of understanding genre. But uh, between uh, now and then, um, you're going to hear her speak about the importance of not just um, communicating the content accurately, but also communicating to to real and actual people in a way that makes sense uh, to them. Uh, The importance of um, seeking out even different kinds of mentorships to help us grow in our personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Anyway, this is a a great conversation that you're about to listen into, and uh, I'm really um, excited for you. So, as I often say, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Here's my conversation with Christy Anwabile. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm really honored to be speaking with uh, Christy Anubile. Uh, good, good morning. Is it's it's morning there, correct? It is still morning for yeah for the next few minutes. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. So it's a, a nice, hopefully, uh, beautiful morning in DC, and I'm talking to you from a rainy, damp uh, Cork, oh, Ireland uh, this afternoon. Sorry. Yeah, we're kind of cloudy, but I mean, it's it's. Partly cloudy, I would say, but it looks really nice outside and the weather is fairly warm for October. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're here talking to a computer screen. I think it's going to really benefit uh, the listeners to the Expositors Collective. Okay, I just want to jump like straight into this. This is a great question that like helps us get to know you a little bit. But, um, but Chrissy, could you take us to like the first time that you um, opened and taught the Bible in, in public? Like, where was that? Uh, like besides one-on-one? Bible besides kind of in a one-on-one setting, like a well public What teaching. do you think is the most interesting story, Christy? That's what I'm looking for. Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my first public teaching, I would say, that uh, really marked in some ways how I think about uh, teaching the Bible and things like that was a friend of mine asked me to lead the women's retreat at their church. And I had never led a women's retreat outside of kind of my own context. And so I was like, I have zero idea about how to go about this. I don't know. And I think she even, if I remember correctly, left it up to me to choose the topic. 
So I had to choose a topic. I had to choose a text. I had to figure out what I was going to teach and how I was going to teach it. And it was very, very frightening and unnerving and unsettling. (laughs) And I was like, man, Lord, why in the world did you, maybe I should just say no, but I just kind of felt compelled. Like the Lord really wanted me to say yes and to do it. So I did. I taught through Colossians um, in three sessions and, um, and it was talking about um, Christ and our, our hope in him or something to that effect. And I remember after, you know, as I was going through each session, um, and getting feedback from ladies as we were going along, yeah, they were really appreciative of what they called um, my exegesis, and it was it was interesting that this group really appreciated exegetical teaching. Yes, and I thought it was a compliment until maybe maybe I don't know how much longer as I reflected on it more, and I was like, you know, I don't know if the primary thing I wanted them to have left with is that um, I know I knew how to exegete scripture. Like I really wanted them to encounter Christ and to um, be challenged in their hearts in some particular way. But it seemed like they were appreciative of my technique for lack of a better word um, and not really kind of the heart behind what I was trying to teach. And so that really convicted me a lot and, and, you know, just, made me think a lot about how do I remain faithful to teaching the scriptures faithfully, exegetically, but also teaching to the heart and really trying to help people encounter Christ in um, not even new ways, but just maybe new ways for them, you know? So. Yeah. So it sounds like they were saying like, that was accurate. Yes. And you kind of came in and the thought was like, well, I, I, it should be more than just accurate. Yes. Yes. It has to be accurate for sure. Absolutely. But also yeah. <laughs> it's better than not being accurate. Yeah, exactly. But I just felt like, I'm like, man, I really feel like something is, mi- something's missing. And so, um, so that was my, what my first public teaching and I vowed I would never do it again. And I've done it many times since. <laughs> <laughs> so upon, yeah, upon reflecting on that, or then, yeah, that kind of realizing or, or you know, okay, exegesis, good, but what about, what about the rest of it? Like, what were the steps that you took to, to grow? Or even how did you identify what, what else there possibly is than, than mere exegesis? Yeah. So, uh, several things. One is, um, I started to learn that it's it's important to get the text right, but it's also important to get the text across. And it's also important to get the text um, uh, like, I don't know, deep inside. Like, And so one of the things I started doing as a result, ways I, I started, you know, that I felt like I should grow is really listening to um, pastors and preachers more and focusing more so on the argument that they were trying to get across to their argument or to their audience. And so I think I was just like, let me, I, God, I just, I was praying like, Lord, just don't let me do damage to your word. And I think he, he honored that. I think, you know, no one said it, that it was wrong, but I think I was so focused on that. I was like, oh yeah, you forget you are talking to people and you need to make an argument from the text 
to this audience that's really going to impact their individual lives. So listening to more sermons and listening to how pastors fashion, not just walking through the text exegetically, but how are they making a, a coherent argument to their audience? And how were they making um, implications and applications from that from that uh, argument that really, you know, affect the heart. Um, and so obviously my husband, the BD, I listened to him a lot. Um, I read people like <laughs> Brian like Chapel. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> Brian Chapel, I think he's really good with helping to um, have messages that have, you know, just kind of proper um, heart probing applications and things like that. Mark Dever is really good at that. And, um, making, you know, um, arguing for implications and applications to various kinds of people that you might find in, you know, in his church, for example, or at a ladies retreat I might be speaking to or something to that effect. Um, so that's a lot of my growth in that area um, came that way. Okay. And there's a, there's a way, I think, you know, as, as, as Bible teachers, and it's a um, as we listen to other preachers or other other Bible teachers. On the one hand, I want to listen as a Christian. I want to listen to this as like, hey, I want to, you know, hear from God's word. I want to almost be like kind of ambushed or surprised sometimes um, by by a Bible teacher like showing me or highlighting something um, from this passage uh, to my own to my own heart. And there also is another way of sometimes just like, you know, as like a, a fellow worker in the craft to be like, hey, how are you doing it? And um, what are the ways that you're um, highlighting different things and, and showing it? So I think you said what the implications and the applications. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard that phrase. I, I, I like that a lot. Um, showing <laughs> yeah. this is what it means and this is what it means mm-hmm. to us or, exactly. or to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of think, take those and say, you know, if I'm teaching something, I want to say, okay, uh, what is, what is true um, principially um, that affects our lives today? And then how do we live out that truth? How does Christ call us to live out that truth? How does um, what Christ has done impact how I think about or practice the truth that I that I encounter in the word. Yeah. And this, this question, uh, maybe it, who knows if you've done the kind of like heart level, um, soul searching, <laughs> but like, when do you think you started to, to get it? So you, you, you came home from that women's retreat thinking, okay, well, it was accurate, but there's more to it. And, and of course we're all, you know, in, imperfect, even in the way that we're able to ju- judge ourselves or not, but like, do you ever, have you driven home from one and be like, I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting closer to that goal. <laughs> Uh, mm. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Um, and this is not like in a braggadocious way. It's kind of like, no, I kind of Monday morning quarterback, you know, just uh-huh. kind of, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that or I should have done that or, you know, so I'm kind of my worst critic in a way. And I just rely on feedback from people to give me a gauge as to whether or not, you know, I'm getting it. I I do feel like I'm getting better and I do feel like I'm learning more. So when I first started teaching, it was just like, oh, well, like it's out there, you know, Lord, I prayed (laughs) about it, you know, (laughs) I prayed through it, you know, we'll see. I hope, you know, I hope that it, you know, all goes well. Now I feel like I'm gaining, I actually have tools to use. Whereas before I didn't really have tools. It was just like, 
you know, let me put something together that I think models what I've seen done well in other people. But it wasn't like I was consciously thinking about, um, yeah, tools and strategies that help with that. So I think it was years later when I started attending um, these workshops specifically geared towards Bible teachers, and they kind of helped me put those pieces together. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Charles Simeon Trust. I think you guys have a, uh, there's a similar organization yeah. in the Over UK. in the UK, it's called yeah. Yeah, Proclamation Trust. Proclamation Trust, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I started attending these Bible teacher workshops and seminars that really helped me to get tools and strategies, um, yeah, to help me be more confident in what I was teaching. Right. And how, how many times did you attend before they started asking you to start teaching? <laughs> Oh, that's an interesting story. So I had been interested in this organization. We lived in the Cayman Islands for eight years. And so I had been hearing about it and I kept saying, man, you know, the next time I go to the States, I'm going to try to, you know, go to one of these workshops, but the timing never worked out. So we finally moved back to the U.S. And the first thing I did, I mean, we unpacked and all that, but (laughs) one of the first things that I did (laughs) for myself coming back was I signed up for one of these workshops. And I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but somehow at my first workshop, uh, I was invited to um, kind of to observe a a teacher training for that workshop. And so I started kind of backwards. I started, normally you go to a couple of workshops and then you kind of go and observe the teaching and there's kind of a process, but I think maybe through my communications with people that I knew in uh, the organization, uh, they knew I was a Bible teacher. And so they kind of had me come in and observe and then, you know, uh, attend the workshop. And so I I started teaching probably uh, within a year or so, a year or two. Okay. So quite a quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty Yeah, well, I've, I've kind of been, yeah, uh, binge listening uh, the, the workshops that you've done in, in preparation okay. for this. And uh, they are, they're really great. It's, it's uh, really, really great. And I'll be sure to yeah, have the link in the show notes. Um, because yeah. if you're a listener to this podcast, you love this sort of stuff already. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's um, very, yeah, nitty gritty and just stuff about yeah the melodic line or even mm-hmm. issues of I don't think it, it was the workshop called homiletics, but you just the importance of like communicating clearly, mm-hmm. um, not just again, not just being exegetically correct, but also mm-hmm. easy to listen to and really driving a point home. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's called text to talk or something like that. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. We have tons of different workshops, but they they do a really good job of putting together yeah, um, just an excellent package of materials for the Bible teacher. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It would be great for your audience to click in there sometimes. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so, so that's your first time teaching, or well, your first time kind of with a real learning experience with uh, with teaching and knowing there's more than just the proper exegesis. There's more to it. Um, you've grown from specifically mm-hmm. finding people that do it well and trying to learn from that. And um, I'd love to maybe ask next about like, uh, like what role has mentorship played? So you you talked about kind of being mentored by maybe preachers that you, you didn't know personally, but by listening to their stuff, have there been people in your life, like up close and personal that have helped you in this? Yeah. Um, of course my, uh, my colleagues that, you know, I teach with in the Bible training workshops have been 
super helpful. And I think just finding those communities of like-minded people who are doing the same thing and just being vulnerable enough to ask people to look at my work and to offer feedback and to help me grow uh, as a teacher and a leader has been super helpful. Uh, so I think my my mentors have been people like that, uh, other Bible teachers that I was that I'm already learning from. You know, I read their materials. I, I watch them teach and, and, and present messages and give sermons and things like that. Um, and then as I've grown, as we've grown in relationship with one another, you know, we we share. Hey, I'm doing this talk. This is where I'm going. I mean, I could name off some people if you want me to, but yeah, just in various settings, having people who are willing to look at the material that I'm producing and to offer feedback. And some of it is kind of hard because you're like, you totally missed a point on that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So let me go back to the drawing board. So people who are, you know, willing to release, you know, because I have sometimes I have people. Well, I'll tell you one one person specifically. Um, Jen Wilkin, excellent Bible teacher, writer, etc. And in one of her books, I think maybe her first book, she talked, um, I don't know, somewhere I learned from her that she has several kinds of people to offer her feedback on material that she produces. And I've just kind of modeled that for myself. So I have someone with some sort of theological background who can check my work for theological accuracy. Mm-hmm. And then someone with maybe more of um uh, editing kinds of, you know, background who mm-hmm. can check grammar and yeah. those kinds of things. And then someone who's representative of the audience that I am teaching to who can read it and offer feedback from an audience perspective. Uh, and that has really helped a lot in my teaching and writing and speaking and those, those kinds of areas. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that answers the question in terms of mentor mentoring. But as far as, yeah, Bible teaching, yeah. Yeah, the first and the last. Like, you know, in, in my mind, maybe a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I got to get a, a theologian to look it over to make sure that it's accurate. That is very true. But that that last one, you know, a person who represents the audience, because so many theologians, you know, for better or for worse, end up talking to other theologians a lot yeah. or, or, or deal with kind of the, you know, get lost in the weeds or, or could get lost in the yeah. weeds. To have somebody who is, yeah, like a, like the person or actually maybe even one of the people that's going to be there for the women's Bible study or whatever, um, to say, this doesn't actually apply to me at all. Or, mm-hmm. uh, why are you speaking so much about Augustine and, and this or that? Um, that's, that's so valuable. Um, which was kind of the easiest to get. It is. And I think it's, it's actually, I want to say it's, we theological accuracy is important, but, but that audience perspective is, is up there because they're going to help you stay grounded and out of the weeds, you know? Yeah. You know, why are you using, what does this word mean? I've never run across it before. Um, Or they may say this, you know, they may say, you know, this actually, this doesn't fit my kind of life or scenario. Or what would you say to another person? Or I'm talking to a sister who's in this situation. Like, how would this apply to them? So they're asking you questions that really hone in the message and make it accessible um, to the audience, but also applicable to a broad range of people who represent the audience that you're trying to reach. So it's really yeah. very, very, very helpful. Okay. Here's a, here's a really, really 
on the ground follow-up question. How, how do you find these people? Like, um, how do, how do you find a theologian, an editor, and then somebody who's willing to give feedback? And I realize you have some advantages since you've published books before. So that maybe the editors are a little bit easier for you, but yeah. someone's maybe listening to this and thinking, I want that, but I don't know any theologians or editors. Yeah. So when I say theologian, theolo- I just mean someone with some, uh, you trust how they handle the scriptures and you trust kind of their ability to um, spot error or in, you know, inconsistencies with the scriptures. So that I don't mean it necessarily even has to be a pastor per se. It can be a woman in your Bible study who teaches with you. It can be, you know, it can be anyone. So um, I think pastors are great but they're very busy. If you have access to your pastor and they have time, great. If not, I would just say, look for someone in your church who's teaching the Bible regularly and you trust how they handle the word in that regard. Um, If you have a ministry outside your church where you connect with other uh, Bible teachers who are like-minded, I think that's a great resource. Um, And I say, and I think uh, I would say, take opportunities that you can where you, that you can find where you can hone your skills as a Bible teacher, and sometimes in those communities, I've also found people too um, as, as mentors and people to offer feedback in those settings too. So a lot of people that I call on now, I've met them in other, I've met them in areas outside my church, for example. But we connected at a conference or at a workshop or at a seminar or at a training or something to that effect. And we struck up a relationship that way. Um, so those, those, those are ways. And then for audience, it's, it's generally women who are in my Bible study. Right, so that's right. primarily who I would mostly um, uh, reach out to for feedback in that regard. And then for the editorial bit, again, I just look for women in my church, people who, I mean, you know, it depends on where you are. We, we're in the Washington, D.C. area. And so there's a broad range of people. And our church is not that big, but we have people who work in lots of different areas around the city. And, um, and so we have people in our church who are maybe an English teacher or maybe who have some sort of English background or someone who works in an editorial capacity or for a magazine or a newspaper, or they just love words and, and they're great with words and they can help you. It, my daughter is probably my number one biggest editor as well. So um, she's an excellent editor. She's an English, she was an English major. Um, and so just, you know, be creative and thinking of thinking of people who may not necessarily be, um, you know, theologically trained, for example, yes, but they yeah. have ex- expertise or some acumen in a particular area. So. Well, thanks for, yeah, for, for unpacking that. Um, this is something, you know, that we're, we're kind of hyping repeatedly um, on this podcast and on our own training weekends, the importance of seeking out uh, mentors or saying, as, as you said earlier on, to find somebody to say, hey, could you, could you look at my work? Um, yeah. I think that maybe in certain traditions, um, the the pastoral office or just the, the Bible teacher in general, it's really looked at as like this um, monastic um, solo enterprise that you, you know, you go into the the cave, as it were, you know, you sit at your mm-hmm. desk and you consult with like the the dead writers that have gone before you and you kind of emerge, you know, like, like Moses mm-hmm. coming down from Mount Sinai and you have the message. 
And I am, I'm just really excited and thrilled to see like more and more of like a collaborative approach to this where Mm -hmm. the person isn't being relieved of the responsibility. And James three still is true that there's a a responsibility for the, the teacher. However, it's, it's realizing that we shouldn't maybe only be learning from like the dead authors that have come before us, but the right. living contemporaries that we have now. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. That's good. And is that like a, now again, I've, I've never been a women's ministry director or, or teacher, but like, is, is there that same monastic impulse um, amongst like women's ministry coordinators and teachers that there is with uh, lead pastors? Uh, I think so. I think a lot of uh, women who are Bible, women Bible teachers I talk to, it's not only, well, there's, there is that in there in a sense, but I think with a lot of women, it's kind of writing and studying in pockets of time because oftentimes there are other competing interests. There's, there's family, there's children, there's work, there's, you know, all these other things. So it's not like a pastor where you get to hole up in your office for eight hours in a day and right. read the text 15 right. times and, right. you know, write your outline and you have these huge pockets of time on a daily basis, or at least a couple times a week to work allegedly, on these things. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, right. <laughs> right. Allegedly. That's what they say. So, um, but for a lot of women, it's finding, yeah. you may only have 15 minutes in a carpool line. You may only have, you know, 45 minutes while the baby is napping you know, you may only have an hour between dinner and bedtime or after after bedtime, before, you know, after kids have gone to sleep and before your bedtime. So for women, I feel like there's another kind of maybe isolation, loneliness, because not only is it not only are you trying to find those pockets of time, but they're often not pockets of time where you can connect with, say, a fellow teacher and ask questions and things like that. You know, for a pastor, you know, they can call up their fellow pastor, you know, sometime in the day and maybe have a few minutes conversation to ask about something that they're planning to teach or preach. And for a lot of women, they don't necessarily have that. And a large part of it is because, you know, of the pockets of time that they're grabbing to try to put messages and Bible studies and teachings together. Yeah, but it sounds like you're saying, but it's but it's worth pursuing even so. Or maybe maybe especially so. Yeah, for sure. I think I have just been so encouraged in recent years to see more women really taking up the mantle and calling to find ways to pour into other women in a local church. Um, and I think the um, the you know the society is changing a bit in terms of giving women access and opportunities to teach in the context um, that they're in. And that's been encouraging. And and I think women are less afraid of words like theology and, um, and less intimidated by the thought of, um, you know, taking a responsibility to, to teach and, and those kinds of things. And so that's, that's been really encouraging to see growth in that way. Okay. And, and that's, yeah, maybe an observation from, from the recent past. Um, but I know that you've been taking those opportunities for, for a while. So we kind of pivot to the next question. So you've, you've been teaching probably somewhat regularly for, for a long, longer period of time. Um, what, what does like the, the rhythm leading up to a, a Bible talk, um, look like? 
whether it's on a weekly basis or if it's fortnightly? Um, what are the the steps that you take? Yeah. Well, okay. It, I'll preface it by saying I'm in a different season of life than I was, you know, when I first started teaching years ago. So now, you know, um, I have adult children. I have a teenager at home. Uh, a good. I'm not homeschooling or something like that. So a good portion of my day, I do have um, more flexibility and more and more time in some ways. And so, um, you know, I'll preface it by that, you know, so if you're just grabbing 15 minutes, 30 minutes at a time, and I have those moments too, but I think I have more kind of um, chunks of time that I can devote to preparation. So that said, usually start, so is your question in reference to like preparing for a Bible study or preparing like a message or um, what context uh, are you thinking of? Yeah, maybe not as, you know, I know you've done like kind of bigger conference talks, but like, what about like kind of the more regular rhythm of like, you know, you've got, let's say a Tuesday night women's study coming up. And if, if you're kind of regularly on that, um, what are the the days leading up to that look like? Okay, cool. So, um, usually, you know, months before I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to teach and how I'm going to structure it. And then when, um, and I try to stay, a week or two ahead of my group so that when we're meeting, um, I'm not necessarily preparing the lesson that we're learning that week, but I've at least put some time into um, trying to stay a week, a week or so ahead because I've learned over the years that when, you know, we come to our Tuesday night Bible study or whatever it is, they always have questions about the next thing. So, so if I've only I'll tell you when we get there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, that's a good question. Can we talk about it next week? Um, there's still some of that. You can't avoid it. But I do think it's helpful if you can maybe plan a good bit of your lessons, plan out, the, you know, the plan out what you're going to teach for the period of time, eight weeks, 10 weeks, whatever, 16 weeks, but try to stay a week or so ahead of your group so that you know what's coming and you can prepare them as well. Um, so leading up to that, I'm reading the, um, I'm reading the text. I'm listening to it on audio. I'm, you know, printing it out. I have, you know, I print it out on paper and then I just scribble on it and make notes, ask questions make observations, just try to, and I oftentimes will ask questions that I think I already know the answer to as well, um, because I just don't want to rely on solely on what I think I've learned in the past. I want to come to it fresh. Like, do I really understand grace? Like, what does grace mean anyway? You know, <laughs> like, um, so I kind of ask myself questions and then, and again, you can do that in your, your 15 minute popcorn time that you might have in the, in the course of a day. And then I take extended time as well to chase down answers to the questions that I've come up with and try to anticipate what my, the ladies in my Bible study are going to ask as well. And um, so I I do that. And then, (laughs) and and then um, in the midst of those questions and answers, I'm really paying attention to, for example, if we're if we're in Colossians, I want to keep in the forefront of my mind that Colossians is a letter. I want to know the genre and where it is in the context of the whole Bible. And I want to not necessarily read Colossians as if it's a story, 
because it's not a story, it's a letter. And so what are the conventions of a letter that are present in the text and how do they inform uh, my understanding of it? So if I'm reading a letter, then I know that he's probably making some kind of argument. He has a point that he's trying to get across to the audience. And I'm trying to follow you know, Paul's logic, for example, and how he structured that letter and what he's anticipating from his audience, the questions he's anticipating and how he answers them. So I'm also paying attention to those kinds of, of things and allowing that to shape how I, you know, write questions and and prepare the lesson for the ladies that I'm teaching. Uh, so that's a brief kind of overview. And then I organize the questions, um, you know, uh, verse by verse or either thematically depending on what it is that, you know, what it is that we're teaching. Um, yeah. And you mentioned questions. Yeah. Are these, these questions you're asking yourself or yes. do you tend to lead more like interactive Q and A based um, studies? Yeah. So um, when and I'm, in my study, I'm asking questions myself, but once I've kind of gotten a handle and I, I know the genre and I know uh, just the answers to the questions that I've asked myself, I've chased them down yeah. um, in the scriptures or using, you know, extra resources and those kinds of things. Then I organize the questions that I'm going to um, and ask the ladies in my Bible study. So we read it, you know, we will have read it verse by verse. And then we just go back and just start answering questions. You know, who is this letter written to? And, you know, who wrote the letter and who is it written to? You know, we tend to kind of go back through those um, normal kinds of observation, interpretation, application kinds of questions. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for letting me in on that. Um, So you mentioned genre twice in there. Yeah. Genre seems kind of important to you. Uh, why don't you, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and I've asked this question, you know, you know, to, to quite a few people and I've heard about a lot of kind of weekly rhythms. And uh, as far as I can remember, uh, you are probably the first person to, to mention genre as something to really consider. So yeah. why are you thinking a lot about genre these days and what <laughs> is, what is a yeah. genre and why should we care? Okay. So, well, let me say explain what a genre is first. So for people who are not familiar, so a genre is basically a category. Um, and, and it's a, it's categories that we use to, um, to organize information. And so it's for a genre, it's usually, uh, it's usually an artistic category. So there are genres of music and genres of art and genres of literature, right? Um, and so for books, for example, you may have nonfiction or fiction, or you may have fantasy or those kinds of things. Um, and so genres help to organize and categorize information And I would say at least three ways. It helps to organize it. So if you have a painting, a painting can be organized in a gallery. If you're in an art gallery by landscape art or portraits or still life or some historic era. But they also help us. Genres also help us to make sense of information. So if you're listening to music, for example, then the meaning that you come away with listening to that music is often going to be shaped by the genre. So I like country music. Do you listen to country music? Only Johnny Cash. 
Oh man! I think he started. We talk He's, later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For, is there more? For, is there? Are there more than Johnny yes, Cash? <laughs> absolutely. Okay. But something like country music can be a bit tricky because sometimes a song will have a title that signals one thing, but the content might be something different. So okay. if there's a song called, say, um, "Take Me to Church." then you might be expecting a gospel song, but it's in the country genre. So now I can make better sense of that song if I know, oh, this is a country song that's secular. It's not a gospel song or a hymn. And and that's going to shape how I make sense of that that piece of music. Um, And there's there's a contemporary Irish artist called Hosier, and he has a song called Take Me to Church. Oh, really? um, Yeah, that's actually like, you know, a it's a scathing critique of the oppressive nature of the Catholic church and it's, you know, imposing sexual ethics upon the country, you know? Um, so that's a, even that same title, the genre. And then I could say the, the, the historic context, exactly. A, a contemporary Irish person criticizing the historic mm-hmm. injustices of the Catholic church. Sorry mm-hmm. to inter- interject, yeah. but yeah, sure. genre is important. Yeah. But that's but that also leads into, you know, more of to me, the importance of genre is even in the example that you give the words themselves, the the literary meaning of the words um, is also shaped by the genre itself. Right. So um, and then I think genre also helps to know what to expect from what we read. So if you pick up a, a book of fantasy, then, you know, to expect like this complex fictional world, these otherworldly creatures and dragons and myth and folklore and adventure and heroism and all those kinds of things. Um, so you know what to expect when you understand what the genre is. And so I would say all that to say that basically genre for the Bible, genres help us to organize the books of the Bible. So in the Bible, you have law, you have um, narratives or stories, um, the the history books of Genesis, ex, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, yeah. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You have the, the law, then you have the history books that would be like Joshua and Judges and the Samuels and all of those that outline the history of God's people. And then you have poetry and there's wisdom and there's apocalyptic there's the gospels and there's letters. And so those are kind of the main genres of the Bible. And they basically show and tell the message of the Bible in unique ways because of its literary genre. So I love talking about genre. I really think it's one of the things that has shaped and changed how I approach the Bible almost more than just about anything else. Um, so much so that I just completed a book on it and that I hope will be really beneficial for people who want to learn more about genre. So obviously I can talk about that a lot, but um, I'll say just one other thing on it. I think genres also provide us a way of, it kind of gives us guidance on how to structure, this is for Bible teachers, on how to structure the text for your study. And so using the example that I did in in Colossians, knowing it's a letter, then I know I'm going to be looking for an you know, an introduction, a sender and a receiver. I'm going to look for the body of that letter and the argument that he's making and the closing salutation and and those kinds of things. Or if I'm reading in the book of Esther or Ruth, I'm looking at a a plot. I'm now trying to follow the, um, you know, what is the incident that is taking place that's inciting the tension that's in this story? And where's the highlight of that tension located? And how does that impact how I understand what this story is all about or, you know, and we can go on and 
talking about specific elements that I think are brought out from the the um, the particular genre that you might be studying. Yeah, well, we got like 11 more minutes and I want to talk about genre for all those 11 minutes because like you, you come alive talking about Yeah, genre. I know. I'm like, you hit my, you, you, yeah. I should have asked earlier. Yeah, that, uh, that one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, so I, I heard, I, I, I read something. I think it's like the blurb on the back of the book, which isn't published yet. I look forward yeah. to reading it once it's actually published. Thanks. But I, I think on the back of the book, it says, you know, the goal is not to meld the scriptures together as a bland conglomerate, but to recognize the multiple forms in which God's word comes to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what are ways that um, scriptures can be melded together into a bland conglomerate? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the primary way that, and I'll, I'll speak for, well, myself, and I think how a lot of people think of the Bible, the Bible is, it is one story, but they also think it's one, people often think it's one thing. So when you read it, you will read all the Bible as um, you'll read the whole Bible as, you know, people will say, well, you read the Bible literally. Um, well, <laughs> if we read all of the Bible literally, then, excuse me, we definitely would not be keeping genre in mind because we don't read things like poetry literally. We know that poetry uh, gives us imagery and lots of metaphors and word pictures and things like that. And they're not meant for us to be read literally. So it's not, you don't meld together everything or even Proverbs, wisdom literature. Um, we, we don't read it literally, but we read every book of, the, we might not read every book of the Bible literally, but we do read every book and every genre literarily, meaning mm-hmm. according to its literary genre. And so that's what I mean by it's not like one bland thing and, you know, we kind of read monotonously and we're, if we're trying to figure out like, what does this proverb mean? Train up a child in the way she should go. And when you get old, he won't, he won't depart from it. Well, if I take that literally, then that means no believers should have any unbelieving children, right. right? You know, and we know that's not the case. So if I don't take that completely literally, but I understand it literarily, and I want to know, well, what is the proverbial wisdom, the general truth that I take from this? Yeah. And then how do I apply it? Then I think you get much more accuracy from how we read and understand the text. So I think that kind of melding together and making the Bible all one thing can really lead us to a lot of error and inaccuracy in how we interpret the scriptures. Um, And we want to say what God intended that writer to communicate to us. That's what we want to communicate to the people that we're teaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the the writer chose, or, and you could say the spirit of God even oversaw to, to, that Proverbs is written as Proverbs. It, it exists yes. within its literary context. Yes. And and then too, we if we say okay, so we interpret we interpret the Bible this way. You just can't take the gist of it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of proverbial wisdom. Well, maybe that's how you understand Proverbs, but that's not really how we understand Romans chapter you know one two three I- any of Romans. You know, yeah. we have to have we, we look at hey letters are written in an epistolary way, we need to understand mm-hmm. them in that way yeah. and to have yeah. the distinctions between the different kinds. We're not, you're not saying that some parts of the Bible are more true than others or more relevant right. than others, but they need to be understood in their 
I guess I can't think of another word, but genre, yeah. but yeah, in, know, in right? the literary genre. <laughs> can't get around it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And, you know, for another example would be the law. We think about, well, this is a command. Yes, there are commands yeah. throughout scripture. But when you read the law, those commands were given in a specific context to people. And God was trying to communicate something uh, of, about himself and about the people and their ability or inability. Mm. Um and was pointing us even to Christ and how he would fulfill the things that the people, you know, just couldn't. You can read Hebrews even um, to that helps us interpret a lot of the law that we read in the Old Testament. So um, that's another thing. But sometimes when people say, well, this was a command from God, like, yes, it was a command, <laughs> but we have to consider it within the context of um, the, the law genre to understand why these, who these laws were given to and why, and then what do they mean for us today? Like, how do we interpret them through the work of Christ? And then how do we apply them um, today? Right. Well, here's, here's, here's another question on this. So I, I kind of, um, in our Facebook community, I kind of mentioned that you were coming up and someone asked a specific question. Um, so does, does this mean like, if we're looking at a, at a narrative, um, like, are we not supposed to get doctrine from a narrative or where should we be getting our doctrine from? Um, yeah. And I guess maybe the distinction between like descriptive versus prescriptive texts. Um, how can yeah, we tell? And since, and also final thought, like the authors don't really identify. They don't say, hi, I'm Moses. I'm going to be writing law for the next 20 chapters. And then I'm going to yeah. switch over to, um, to to historical narrative again. How do we discover those? And then how do we pull out the applications from the various yeah. um, kinds of genres? Yeah. Ooh, that's a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So um, I would say for narratives, for example, Narratives are showing us the lived experience of God's people through history and how his plan for humanity unfolds, for example. And so with the narratives, we're we're seeing, I think one of the things that's fun to look for in narratives is um, the, the, the characters and, of course, like the setting or scene that's you know, that's being um, highlighted mm -hmm. in that particular narrative. But um, one of the things that we want to also look for is how the story is unfold is unfolding and how it's contributing to um, the message that that the that the narrator um, is, is is trying to lead us to. So I think for narrative, it's not so much doctrinal per se, but it's looking at lived human experience and trying to, so in trying to understand how the unfolding of that story um, shows us something about ourselves, but also shows us something about the, the work of Christ um, in the midst of that story. So I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, I'll tell you, Thabiti just finished preaching um, Esther chapter one. Oh, and okay. he, you know, and he, and you see that, you see King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, however you want to, whichever pronunciation you want to go with. And, you know, this king is lavish and he's having this big banquet. He's inviting all these people and, 
And then, you know, the grandeur of this king and the selfishness of this king is on full display. Mm -hmm. And then you contrast that with the, um, I would say, that Queen Vashti, his queen, who he then tries to bring in to parade before all these people. And she's kind of the foil. The foil is sort of the character who highlights certain aspect of the of another character to help bring a contrast or a comparison into play. So you see his lavish, selfish, you know, selfishness on display, but then you see her um, really kind of standing up for herself and her story really highlights even more so just the egregiousness of what the King has done. Right. And so sometimes the characters will kind of, and and so to finish the thought out with mm-hmm. the king, you see that he was just a weak king and he was proud. And so his life and story in chapter one really makes us to think about another king, another king who was humble, another king who um, did not use his power and influence to shame and to suppress. But he gave up the glories of heaven to come to earth in the form of a man and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So I think sometimes with um, the narratives, for example, it's not so much, um, it's not so much teaching us the kind of doctrine that you would read in an epistle, but it's more so showcasing characters lives and how they point us to Jesus, either by comparison or by contrast. Yeah, and so while Esther chapter one touches on issues of of, of government and even yes. marital relationships, mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. That's uh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I, I love this, I love this quote by I know our time is running out, but I love this quote by Sally Lloyd Jones, where she says something like, um, she says something like, stories don't necessarily tell the truth confrontationally. They don't coerce you. They don't argue with you to believe them. They just are. And the power of a story isn't in, isn't in summing it up or drilling it down or kind of reducing it to these abstract ideas, but the power of the story the power of the story isn't even in the lesson, the doctrine, the power of the story is the story. So just reading a story as a story, appreciating what the characters are doing and how their lives are playing out and um, enjoying or taking in the story as a story and then allowing that to shape, okay, well, what does this, how, what does this teach me about um, Christ and who he is and his work? What does it teach me about myself? How do I mirror or how am I supposed to live in contrast to this character or um, what's being played out in this story? Um, yeah. So our, our, we can set our lives kind of parallel to the characters that we read, either by comparison or by contrast. And we always want to be shaped by those stories in terms of um, how Christ fulfills it, how he contrasts it, how he is the better or how he is greater or how he is, he is set apart from the characters that we read. And then, of course, there are characters who are always, um, not always, but there are always characters who somehow, um, you know, they're kind of these king figures that um, are, are types of Christ in in various stories. And so we want to look out for those as well. You know, is in this particular story, David, a type of Christ? Um, and how so? How does this king point to the greater king? Um, yes. This kills me, but we got to go. 
No, <laughs> this kills it's not me. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so to the to the listeners of the Expositors Collective podcast, like if you want to hear more from Christy talking about this, you got to buy her book. And it's um, it's 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 coming out in Moody Publishers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and where and when can can they get it? Yeah, you should be able to find it at your local bookstores um, in March of 2022, spring of okay. 2022. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, this is almost like a, a lived out parable to use that genre <laughs> of like, I, I literally want to hear more. And so, um, maybe we'll have another opportunity to chat. <laughs> that's a great sales pitch yeah. for, for, for the, the upcoming book. But yeah, thank you very much. Uh, this has been, uh, yeah, for me personally delightful and I appreciate you, um, yeah, sharing what you've learned over the years, um, with, uh, the expositors collective audience. It's been a joy. Thank you. So, uh, thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to Christy for her time. It was an absolute uh, delight to speak with her and to, I mean, I think all of that conversation was was great and definitely worth your time. But man, talking about genre at the end was, was so exciting. And uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to uh, a place where you can pre-order her book, but it's something I believe that certainly is worth our consideration. And for those of us who are Bible teachers to really um, put the work in to understand um, the, the genre of the text that we are communicating. And as I mentioned uh, towards the end, I was reading out a question that came in through our, our Facebook community. Um, if you want in on that, if you want to join a place on the uh, often uh, toxic and uh, horrible place called Facebook, um, we have, we've carved out a special little community for, uh, for Bible teachers and for students of God's Word where we're able to um, speak about episodes of this show and then also um, just related or connected things that have to do with um, following God and personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. Well, you're invited to our private Facebook group. So you go to facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. Um, There's some questions for you to answer, and then you'll be added to that very special um, little corner of the internet um, where, uh, where there's always room for you. Okay, so once again, thanks to Christy. Uh, Once again, thank you to the people in our Facebook community. Um, And then also, I'm going to say, as we're considering the different, like, genres of of the Bible, um, it's not enough just to know what genre it is. We actually have to know what it is saying as well. And so that leads me into our next episode. Uh, Coming out next Tuesday, uh, Cody King uh, spoke to our in-person training event in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he spoke about inductive Bible study and the ways that we can look deep and long into the actual passage that we're preparing and and see what actually is there. And so I'm going to leave you with a, a teaser clip for next Tuesday's episode. Make sure that you are subscribed so that it automatically shows up in your phone or your device. Thank you for being part of this. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Here's Cody King. So when you actually open the Bible and you begin to study it, what are you going to do? Well, number one, always begin with prayer. 
The first thing you want to do is pray because God is the author of Scripture, so ask Him to help you understand it. Actually, actually ask the Holy Spirit to be the one who is not only the author of the Scriptures, but your teacher as well, remembering that that's who He is. And then, as you've prayed, saying amen is, shouldn't necessarily end your prayer, but as you read through the Scriptures, continuing in that attitude of prayer, but read, actually read the text. Don't start with this great idea about what you want to preach about and this cool concept, and I saw this thing and I want to talk about that. Instead, actually read the Bible passage. Uh, and then as you do that, read the Bible passage again. And then read it again. Many times the repetition of reading the Scriptures is what's going to unveil understanding to you. You're not going to see everything the first time through. The, the, the rhythms of it aren't going to stand out the first time through. The stuff that really matters may not pop out to you the first time through. And so the repetition will be able to do that. And be sure to read your text, the biblical text that you have, in its context. You may need to back up a little bit, grab some more verses, and read a little bit after to make sure that you understand it in the context. All right? So the first thing that we're going to do for inductive Bible study is O, observation. Okay? Observation, what does it say? That's the question we're asking. What does this say? In this phase, what you're doing is you're gathering information by asking questions into the scriptures. And through asking questions, you're going to identify six primary things. You want to, number one, identify the big idea or the, the main thought of the biblical text. That's what the questions are going to reveal. You want to identify the five W's and the one H, number two. The five W's and the one H, right? The who, what, where, when, why, and how. You're going to look into the Bible and say, what, what is this saying? Why does it matter? How does this impact things? Who is this written to? Uh, what are the themes that are being involved in all of this? You want to also, thirdly, identify main grammatical components, you want to look at the articles and nouns and adjectives and verbs and conjunctions and prepositions. And when I say that, you're like, I got out of 11th grade uh, English class to not go back to it. Why are you talking about this stuff? And you're like, my mind stopped. What are you talking about? Okay, so if, that's hard, if those are hard words for you, well, here's what this means. Sometimes the small words are the biggest words. I'll give you an example. Jesus said, I am the way. He did not say, say I am a way. That small word changes the whole meaning. Sometimes the small words have the biggest impact on the scriptures, right? So you want to identify those grammatical components. Fourthly, you want to identify key words. Look for the most important words or the ones that if you were to take them out of the sentence, they would make the sentence become nonsensical. Find those words. Those matter a lot. Those will under, give you understanding and unveil some more deeper meaning. Fifthly, you want to identify key transitions in your text. Look for things like compare and contrast. Look, look for things like progression. This, and then this, and then this. That will show you some flow in the text. Maybe cause and effect. This happened, and then this took place. All right? That's fifthly. And sixthly, and finally, you want to identify the logical outline that the text itself presents. The biblical text is going to give you an outline. We're going to have an entire module on that later, but look for it in the text. That's what you want to identify. 